Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and find Matthew chapter 22. We'll be there in just a moment. I'll ask you to pray for me this morning as I seek to do something that in America today is quite a balancing act. Uh, We are called on by the Lord God to be pilgrims on this earth, looking for a country not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, that's where our citizenship is. And yet we're also called upon by the same Lord and God to be good citizens and patriots of the land we're in. And sometimes that's a bit of a balancing act. So turn to Matthew chapter 22, if you will, and in a moment we'll begin reading there. Just a few weeks ago, uh, we had vacation Bible school here. Oh boy, what a grand time that was. Uh, incredible number of children here. <clears throat> Many of them came to faith in Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Many of these families, we were able to, to speak into them uh, as we've never before, and it's, it was tremendous. I love Vacation Bible School. I always have. I've had over half a century that I've been doing Vacation Bible School, and I've done everything from acting a part and acting the fool to uh, just presenting Christ, and it's just, I just love it so much. One of the things that we do in our opening uh, assembly each and every day is we come in and do our pledges. Now, if you're a veteran of Vacation Bible School, you know how that works, right? Well, this year, we did it a little differently. We did the order differently. Because in my heart, and I've shared this with the staff, and Timothy especially said, well, yeah. But in my heart, our allegiance begins with our allegiance to God and His Word. And then it extends to this remarkable and wonderful country that we're in. And so, as we do our pledges today, I'm going to ask you to join me and recite these pledges. Now, if you don't have them memorized, the good news is they're going to have them on the board for you, okay? (laughs) Don't want to embarrass anybody. But let's go back to those days of Bible school for a moment. Let's go back to those days where in our child's heart, we just want to open ourselves to what God is doing in our hearts and in our world as well. Will you stand with me? And as we begin, we're going to begin with the pledge to the Bible. So attention, salute, and pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, and will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. And having committed ourselves to the word of God, We commit ourselves to the Savior and to the kingdom that we're a part of. So we'll salute and pledge to our Christian flag. Attention, salute, and pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One brotherhood uniting all Christians in service and in love. And then to our wonderful nation that we are so privileged to be a part of, we pledge to our American flag. Attention, salute, and pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Be seated and take your Bibles And join me, if you will, in reading from Matthew chapter 22. You know, Jesus 
had people who were always trying to trip him up, always trying to find some reason to complain about him. You know, that's one of the reasons we know that he was a Baptist pastor, okay? This is just typical of of life for him. And so we begin reading in Matthew chapter 22 with verse um, 17. Now, Now, here again, the Pharisees have set up this trap. Verse 17, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness, and he said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. And so they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things which are God. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Pray with me. Father, we live in a time in our country that we need your wisdom and your grace to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto you the things that are yours. I thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us without instruction and example there. Not only from history and from the millions of men and women that have gone before us, but also from your word. So lead us to your heart. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to turn now to the book of Daniel in the back of your Bible in the Old Testament. He's one of the major prophets. and We're going we're gonna to be there in, in just a, a few moments. I'm going to do something a little different than I usually do. I, I've, I've worked diligently on some of the things I want to tell you, so I'm going to be looking at my manuscript a little more than usual. But while I love America and I pray that America has continued to be blessed by God, I also know from reading the Word of God that there will not truly and completely be a one nation under God until Jesus Christ returns and sets up his rule all over our earth. I know enough America about America to know that we are not one nation under God, at least not anymore if we ever were. When a nation legalizes and champions that which God in his word abhors, There is an irreconcilable conflict there. There is no way we can be under God when we accept, condone, legalize, and promote the things that God's Word forbids. The clear mandate of Scripture, however, is that we are to be good citizens and live peaceably under the government where God has placed us. There's a pastor up in uh, northwest Georgia in Trenton that... uh, Uh, coined a term that I want to use. He said, at best, we are called to be pilgrim patriots. Pilgrim patriots. We pledge allegiance to old glory. It never ceases to cause a lump in my throat when I see that grand flag throwing in the breeze. And the pride that has been instilled in me in America from a boy, when we still not only did our pledges, but we also did our prayers in the classroom, continues today. I'm convinced when I bleed, bleed, I bleed red, white, and blue. I love our country. I am devoted to our country. 
but I love my Savior. I'm devoted to His Word. And there are times that these two are in conflict. And we need to understand that. In the Old Testament, it provides for us a wonderful example with the biblical hero of Daniel. You see, Daniel honored the Lord while serving in a country that was not his home. The vast majority of Daniel's life, he was spent, it was spent in Babylon. He served under two empires, two world governments, Babylon and Persia. But he was native-born Israeli. He was from the tribe of Judah. He lived in Judah. And Babylon had conquered Judah. See, we've never experienced that here in the United States. But the nation was conquered. And one of the things that the conquering nation, the Babylonians, did is they looked for all of those who were uh, in government, all of those who were really wise, all of those who were highly educated, all of those who were very well in business, and those who were impressionably youth, and they took them away. They, they drug them off to Babylon to where they could re-educate them, Okay. And so Daniel was among those who were jerked out of his homeland and taken into a land that was not his own, a land whose culture and practices were vastly different and many times collided with those that he was brought up with. And here is where we find Daniel. You and I are mostly native-born citizens of the, of the United States of America. There may be some of you who are not, but, but most of you are here. You are Americans by birth. But you and I are also citizens of heaven by our rebirth, by our second birth into the kingdom of God. And so we find ourselves with dual citizenship. Dual citizenship because our eternal residence is not here. Our eternal home is not in Tocoa, Georgia. Our eternal home is at a place that God is preparing for us with His very own hands, where we will spend eternity with Him as our absolute sovereign. Here on planet Earth, we are temporary residents. Here in the United States of America, we are pilgrims in a very real sense passing through, just like Daniel. But as we look at Daniel, we see some, some principles of how to stay balanced. How to stay balanced being citizens of two countries who in many ways their values and their morals and, and their ethics and their way of looking at life just collide. We see in Daniel a very real way how to handle that. And so I want you to take careful notes this morning. They're in the bulletin. I want you to see, first of all, that in Daniel, beginning of chapter 1, you see the connection with our country. That's the first one. The connection with our country. As I said, for over 70 years, Daniel was influential in two major governments, the Babylonians and the Persians. And though the majority of his life was spent there, that was not his home. Home was back in Israel. Home was back in Judah, specifically. But like Daniel, we have a strong connection, not only to our country of residence, but our eternal origin and when we're going home. 
So how did he balance that? Well, first of all, he realized this. This connection he had with Babylon and later Persia, this connection was first of all a, a, a providential connection. A providential connection. That means God was behind it. You see, we, we find in the Scriptures that in Daniel 2, 1, 2, it says, the Lord gave the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. What does that mean? God was behind this. God was behind the dispersion. God was behind Daniel being snatched out of where he was born and all that he held dear and drug off into this foreign land. God was behind this. Listen, please, very carefully. You are not an American citizen by accident. You are here at the providential hand of God. He could have had you born anywhere on planet Earth, on any continent, in any country. But by His good grace and by His wisdom, He saw fit that you were born right here in the United States of America. You and I need to regularly thank God for the proverbial working that He has that we are born in this wonderful nation. You and I are are not fearful today that the doors may burst open and people armed may come in here and arrest me and you for preaching and believing in the name of Jesus. We have that freedom, and we need to thank God for that freedom because in many, many countries in the world today, our brothers and sisters in Christ are having to meet in secret. And they are constantly being concerned about people with weapons coming in and killing them or taking them away. Do not cease to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide that do not have the privileges that you and I have because we're citizens of this great country. God, in His wonderful way, chose for you and I to be born and placed here. And we need to be absolutely thankful for that. And because we are pilgrims here, we're pilgrim patriots here, we need to do everything in our power to protect and preserve the liberties that we have and that so many of our forefathers gave their life blood for. We cannot be lazy. We are one generation away from losing every freedom that we have. Let that settle in. We are one generation away from losing every freedom we hold dear. That's why we pour into our children, and we pour into our teens, and we pour into our young adults. Biblical truths that we still get to stand highly in favor of in our country. So we want to thank Him regularly that providentially He chose for us to be born here. So the connection we have with our country is a providential connection. But it's also a passing connection. Fill in the blank. It's a passing connection. You see, Daniel knew because his contemporary Jeremiah had prophesied this. Jeremiah prophesied in 70 years... I'm going to bring you back home. You're in Babylon now. It'll be Persia by the time uh, this is over. But I'm bringing you back home. You are not in Babylon forever. It is a temporary 
situation. Daniel understood that. He understood that he was going to be in Babylon until he was an old, old man and may even die there. But he understood that this was a passing connection. But just because it was a passing connection did not mean that he was not to be engaged with his country. He was not going to be there forever, but that did not mean that he could disassociate himself from the country. You and I understand our citizenship is in heaven. We are temporarily here on planet earth, but that does not mean that we can withdraw from this state, we can withdraw from our nation, we can cocoon ourselves in a church and let this whole world go to hell in a handbasket. We're connected here, but this connection is a passing connection. We have to understand that as much as we love the United States of America, and as much as we thank God for the freedoms we have here, we know from reading our Bibles that the day is coming where we will no longer be citizens of the United States of America, but we will be forever in the kingdom of the Lord our God, and He will be our sovereign forever and ever. You and I will not be known for coming from the southeastern part of the United States. You and I will be known as brothers and sisters of the kingdom of heaven. That is our eternal home. The day is coming when, when every person on planet earth, including Americans will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it will not be your place of origin that will determine your future, but your place of eternal birth. We need to understand that. Because some of us get it in our minds sometimes that America has a favored status before God. That, that we are His favorite on the planet Earth. But God is the God of every nation and every people and every language on planet earth. And you want to see where God is mightily moving and huge revival is happening and people are coming to faith left and right. You don't look at America. You look at what he's doing worldwide. The underground church in China. What he's doing now in the Ukraine is incredible. We are not the favored status in the world. To where everybody look to us and we'll show you how to do it right the way God wants it to be done. No. That's not patriotism first, folks. That's nationalism. And there's a big difference. Nationalism is what got Israel in trouble so much. Because they thought God loves us more than he loves any other place on planet earth. And we're blessed and special just because we're born in Israel. Where did that get them? All kinds of trouble. That's what the occupants of Germany thought when they gave into nationalism and found themselves subject unto Nazism. Folks, stay away from nationalism. Stay with patriotism. There's a world of difference. Nationalism says my country right or wrong, whatever they decide in Washington is law, and that's what we'll do. That's not patriotism, my friends, and that's certainly not Christianity. We need to understand, this is a passing connection that we have with our blessed country. That doesn't make it any less important. It is a precious one, but it is a passing one. So our connection is providential and it's passing. The second thing I want you to see is this, and that is our conduct in our country. 
understanding that our ultimate citizenship is in heaven and that we love our country, we cannot expect to save her from judgment. We have to do everything we can to talk individually with people and bring them to saving grace in Jesus Christ. But America will stand before the throne of God just like every other nation will and answer for her. This is the challenge that Daniel faced. He lived in a country that was so many times more evil than ours. And yet he understood in the midst of that He had a reason for being there, a providential reason to be there. There is much that we can learn from Daniel. O.S. Hawkins, who's been at Godstone for years and Mission Dignity, he said, Daniel seems to step out of Scripture to our modern culture to show us principles that will enable us not only to exist in our culture, but to engage in our culture and even thrive in it. Daniel stood out. Let me say that again. Daniel stood out from the very first time he got to Babylon to his last of days, he stood out. You and I as American citizens must stand out as Christians in this world. I know there is a a popular feeling out there that we need to blend in with the world around us. We need to put on a camouflage to where people can't see there's any distinctiveness between us and anybody else. That is not biblical, my folks. God calls us to stand out. First of all, we see that Daniel stood out in his behavior. He stood out in his behavior. When he was brought there as a young man, he was put in a special class where he could be trained in the ways of the Chaldeans, trained in the ways of Babylon. And he was given the very best to eat from everything from the king's table. Do you remember what he did, though? Because eating from the king's table would would mean he would have to compromise his convictions about his dietary restrictions. Remember what he said? He refused to do that. And he told the porter, he said, look, just let us eat fruits and vegetables, and you come back and be the judge in a period of time and see if we're just not as healthy as anybody else or even more so. And indeed he was. From the very beginning as that young man, he stood out with his convictions. He stood out as distinctively different. That did not keep him from being very powerfully engaged as a leader in two empires. Don't be afraid of standing out in your behavior. Daniel reminds us that there should be no better citizen of our country than a Christ follower. Everybody should want Christians as their neighbors. Everybody should want to be working with Christians. Everybody should want to have Christ followers in government and leadership. The Apostle Peter says this, listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves in every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For this is the will of God, that with well-doing you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. We need to be distinguishedly different in our stance. Unfortunately, too many Christians in our world today blend in so well with this mediocre and carnal society that they're indistinguishable from the lost people. 
And yet, is that what God calls us to do? No, he calls us to be light in the midst of darkness. How do you hide a light? How do you hide a candle in the midst of a dark room? Well, you've got to completely cover it up. You've got to snuff it out. But when a candle or a light does what a candle or a light by its very physic nature calls it to do, it stands out. Why do you and I apologize for being different in this world? when that's exactly what God calls us to be and do. He says we're to be salt of the earth. The salt brings healing. The salt preserves. The salt gives flavor. But the problem in the American church today is we're salt, but nobody can get us out of the shaker. We're satisfied being in the salt shaker, fellowshipping with all the other salt when the world is rotting around us and we have the power to heal. God forgive us. Because God calls us to stand out. Daniel stood out as distinctively different. And and the ruler noticed that. This man is distinctively different. And he liked that. He stood out in his behavior. But then Daniel also stood out in his beliefs. He stood out in his beliefs. He would not compromise his convictions, as I said earlier. But God gave him that same spiritual backbone. We find it over in chapter 6. King Darius, this is later after the Persians took over. Daniel was called on to read and explain the writing on the wall. And Daniel said he knew that the writing was signed, and he went into his house. Excuse me, excuse me. When it was signed that you could not worship anyone but the king Nebuchadnezzar. Pardon me. That edict was signed. He knew it was signed. He knew it was focused at him. What did he do? He went into his house. He opened his windows towards Jerusalem like he did every day, and he bowed down and he prayed. Nebuchadnezzar just signed an edict that you don't pray to any other god, you don't recognize any other deity but me. What did Daniel do? Did he keep his windows shut? Did he pray real quiet and and to where nobody would hear? He opened his windows and he prayed as he had every other day to the Lord God in the direction of where the temple used to be. He prayed in that direction because he would not change his convictions. You know the result of that? He ended up facing a bunch of lions. <laughs> but God knew what his man was doing. Like, God knows what you're doing when you stand up with your beliefs. And I want you to know he had the power to close the mouths of lions in that day, and he has the power to close the mouths of lions today. If you can just find some Christians with backbone that are willing to stand up for their beliefs. It wasn't just Daniel, but his three other companions in the very next chapter. Daniel's not there for some reason. 
But Nebuchadnezzar erects that big monument, gold monument to himself, and everybody is supposed to, when they hear the music playing, bow down and worship it, remember? And what do the, what do the three Hebrew men do? They're the only ones out of all the thousands that are there standing. They're not bowing. You know, at that got them, they were arrested, they were brought forward, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But in the midst of that fiery furnace, what would he, the word says? The king looked down and he looked inside and he said, didn't we throw three men into the fiery furnace? Yes, he did. But look, I see a fourth one in there walking around unharmed, and he looks like the Son of God. Folks, you and I meet God best when we stand for our faith, even when it gets hot. What out of that came a decree that nobody ever speaks negatively about the Lord God. And the king of Babylon wrote that decree. This is a precious but passing connection we have to this world. But we have a requirement in the midst of this to stand as distinctively different and stand for our beliefs. The third thing I want to underscore is this. Though this may be a passing connection with our country, we're called on to make a contribution to our country. A contribution to our country. There is an attitude in the church of Jesus Christ in America today that God's people should retreat into their churches and just pray for Jesus to hurry up and come, take us out of here. Well, I know that feeling. <laughs> but folks, we can't do that. God didn't give us a retreating mentality but a charging mentality. When the Word of God says the gates of hell cannot prevail against us, what most of us think is we close our gates and hell's, ba hell's banging on the gates and they're trying to get in, but we're huddled together in a church and we're safe. That's not the picture. It's the gates of hell and the church of Christ is battering the ram against the gates of hell itself and we will prevail if not in this time and the time to come. That's the picture of the church. Militant, organized, and advancing, not shriveling up and hiding in little holy huddles, but boldly taking the Word of God. Two points I see some best from, from Daniel here. First of all, God calls us to make this contribution by being vessels of His work. That means we're presenting ourselves, God, here I am, use me. Here I am, use me among my friends. Here I am, use, use me at school. Here I am, use me at work. Use me in my neighborhood. Here I am, God, use me. In the second chapter, verse 10, we find that King Nebuchadnezzar had a very, very disturbing dream. It was very disturbing, but when he woke up, he forgot it. You haven't woke up and you're disturbed, but you can't remember what the dream was. Aggravating, wasn't it? Well, he woke up and he knew he was disturbed, and he knew he was deeply troubled by this dream, but he couldn't remember what the dream was. So he called in all of his magi, all of the soothsayers, all of the sorcerers, all of the wise men, all the Chaldeans. And he said, look, I have this problem. I, I had this dream, and it troubled me, but I've forgotten it. Tell me what the dream means. And they said, <laughs> well, they didn't do that because they lost their lives. But they said, king... We can't. You tell us what the dream is, we'll interpret it for you. When Daniel heard about this, so he got his pals together. You know what they did? 
They got on their knees. And they prayed. And God revealed to Daniel what the dream was and what it meant. And so Daniel just put himself before God. I want to be a vessel to you. I want to be used to you, by you. And God revealed this to him and the other guys. And what did Daniel do? He went before the king and he said, King, by God's grace, who knows all of our hearts, he's revealed to me your dream and what it means. And he, he told him. Daniel presented himself as a vessel God could use. That's God's call on our lives today. Am I a vessel that I'm putting myself to God's hands? Here I am. Use me. It's a temporary time I've got in America. I know my eternal home is in the heaven. What would you have me do starting right here in Tekoa and all the way across Georgia and the end of the world? I want to be a vessel that you can use. You know, we may not, we haven't been able to shut down all the abortion clinics but we can continue to stand and do what we can until we see things like the repeal of Roe Wade happen again. We can't stop all the homosexual agenda, but we can have strong marriages that model what it means for Christ and his bride to be together. We may not always be able to influence the Supreme Court, but we can practice justice and equity in our community and neighborhood. We may not be able to hang the Ten Commandments in the classroom, but we can raise up children who go live by those Ten Commandments in the classroom. We may not be able to shape policy in Washington, but we can make a difference for Christ right here in Tekoa. We've got to contribute to be vessels for God's work. And secondly, we need to be voices for God's Word. Voices for God's Word. This takes us to chapter 5 of Daniel. And this is Belshazzar, who is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He could have learned a lot from his father, but he didn't. He was as prideful and arrogant and uh, celebrated debauchery more than even his father did. And in the midst of one of his wild orgy parties, somebody screamed and they looked at the wall. And the finger of God began to write and scratch on the wall. And so Belshazzar did just what his father had done. He called up all the sorcerers, all the soothsayers, all the wise men, all the Chaldeans, and they said, what's that? We don't know. It's not a language we know. So what do we find Daniel and his friends doing? They're on their knees. They're praying. And then he comes before the king. Basically, he says, king, you're not going to hear this. This, this is not a happy moment. This is not a happy message. But, but here is what it says. Mene, mene, tekel, yafarsin. Here's the interpretation. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and it's over. Teko, you have been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom now is divided. The Medes and the Persians will have it. That night, the Persians conquered the nation of Babylon in a night. 
Sometimes the message we have is not an easy message to share. Sometimes we have to get all of the love of Christ we can muster to speak in to the message that God has given. But we have no choice. God calls on us to be vessels of his word. Now, needless to say, our nation would function better if they would live up to biblical standards. But here's what I want you to know, folks. Lost people are never going to do that. The Bible tells us that his word, these things are spiritually discerned. And lost people don't have the spirit to discern them. So that looks like foolishness to them. One man, one woman together in holy matrimony and living by covenant just with one another. That's foolishness in the world we're living in. But it means an awful lot to us. That life is a gift from God. And according to Psalm 139, God knits us together, that DNA strand. He knits that DNA strand together from when we're inside our mother's womb. And life begins at conception. The world may vote it to be a blob of tissue. But that's a child. Given time will grow and be just as beautiful as any child in our congregation today. But the world sees that as foolishness. Don't be surprised. Because these are spiritual things that can only be discerned spiritually. And people who don't have the Spirit of God can't understand the things of God. That doesn't mean we're to give up. Because our way of life is the best way of life for anyone saved or lost. But don't expect the world to accept that. Christian patriots, our first concern is not that America remains a superpower. As Christian patriots, our first concern is not whether or not our country is capitalistic or socialistic. It's not whether or not our taxes are high or low. All of these things are vitally important. And we need to make our perspective known, and we need to vote our conscience. But as Christian pilgrimages... Our first concern is whether or not the cause of Christ is being lifted up in our lives and then in our land. Even as we thank God that we're born in America, we must remember that America one day will pass away. We're one of the youngest nations on the planet. And we're in the crosshairs of half the world. The fact that it's withstood as long as it has is a miracle all by itself. But our final citizenship is to King Jesus and to his kingdom that is eternal. May Daniel remind us that the best of us are pilgrim patriots. And we can do just exactly what Jesus said. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. And when they're in conflict... My pledge is first to the Word, and then to my Lord and His kingdom, and then to my country. Let us lay aside any negative criticism and our tendency towards worshiping our nation rather than worshiping our God. 
And come as the people of God, prepared to give thanks for His goodness, enthusiastically celebrating our day tomorrow. But realize that our nation is filled not only with strengths, but incredible weaknesses. And you and I have a role to play as pilgrims in this land, pilgrim patriots. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now and let's pray over our country. I love my country. I love this nation. And will lay down my life, what's left of it even now, for all she stands for. But I am not blind to the Word of God. I long for us to be one nation under God. But that will only be when King Jesus comes and sets up His eternal rule. Let's pray for the nation we love. Father, I want to thank You from the bottom of my heart that by Your grace and goodness You saw fit for us to be born in the United States of America. Some are here today, and Lord, they're, they're here because they've come to our nation, seeking the freedoms and the liberties we enjoy. Thank you for them. We always want our arms to be open to a world that's seeking the values that we so highly esteem. Father, may we pray that what is good and best in your eyes about America might be preserved even if it takes the shedding of our blood. But may we never forget that our citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. And you are not our president. You are our sovereign God. So we pledge allegiance to the Bible. God's holy word. And we make it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that we may not sin against God. We pledge to you, Lord Jesus, and to your kingdom, one brotherhood uniting all Christians in service and in love. And with those two loyalties firmly placed, we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, Lord, let it happen under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So let it be. Amen.